tonight, chapter number 19, 1 Kings chapter number 19. And Brother John, you always, always bless me when you sing. And it's always an encouragement. And uh, thrilled to see him back up here playing and singing. And he's, he's his hardest critic, ain't he? You, you, you know, Miss Dana, he's always hard on himself, but he does an amazing job every time he sings and plays, and uh, I'm glad to see him back up here. First Kings, chapter number 19, as you come to this passage of scripture, we're going to see a man who we introduced to you last week. Many of you know him. And Elijah is going to be battling some things, struggling with some things, discouraged, and you find him making some statements, and uh, he is struggling through. And we've been there. Many of us have had discouraging days. Many of you have had discouraging days and times. And and you go through that and you understand that sometimes if we're not careful, as we begin to, as he does, takes his eyes off the blessings of God and off the Lord himself and begins to acknowledge his circumstances and, and views his circumstances and some statements from an enemy as if they are greater than his God, all of a sudden he allows his mind to lose a battle. The scripture deals with the mind as you go into the New Testament. You're going to find a lot of scripture dealing with the mind and renewing that mind and making sure that our mind is given to the right things and the proper things and that we think on the word of God and we hide it in our hearts so that we can think on it in our minds and we can share it with this world. You see, there's a lot to this uh, this study of the mind. If you go and you really dig through scripture, you're going to see that as you come to many of the battles that are lost in people's lives, it started right here. It starts right here. We begin to dwell on the wrong things, and all of a sudden, as we dwell on the wrong things, we make poor choices. Here in a few minutes, you're going to see some of the choices that he made, some of the decisions that he made, some of the statements that he made as he was losing the battle to the mind. As we stated last week, over 34% of America, this is just America here, over 34% of America, through surveys, has acknowledged that they battle either depression or anxiety on a daily basis. That is a very high number concerning those two things, depression and anxiety. As you come to maybe your own personal life and you're beginning to sit there and you're thinking, you know what, I battle this on a daily basis. We begin to acknowledge that sometimes if we're not careful, we let our circumstances determine our actions, the way that we approach life on a daily basis. We begin to sway left and right and we're tossed to and fro because we allow our mind to lose the battle. So we ask our, ourselves this question, why is it so important that we really do take care of our minds? I'm not talking about the, the world's philosophy of taking care of our minds. I'm talking about God's philosophy of taking care of our minds. What the Word of God has to say about this. As you come to the Word of God, you're going to be introduced to this man, and you begin to see that there are some things that we acknowledged last week. I'm just going to kind of give you a brief recap of some of that because I want you to be caught up in all this. But notice for me, if you would, number one, the timing of discouragement. The timing of his discouragement. Many times if we begin to look at people's lives and we say, man, this individual is discouraged. They must be going through a difficult time. Well, sometimes that is the case. That is true sometimes, but it's not always the case. You see, notice in this passage of scripture, as you back up into chapter number 18, as we talked about last week, we come to these statements that are very strong and very powerful. And you begin to see that though Elijah is going to struggle in chapter number 19, in chapter number 18, he was living his best life. 
You see him on top of the mountain, if you would. Notice these statements in verse number 21 of chapter number 18 as you back up for just a few moments. You're familiar with the scene that is set. The stage is there, and all of a sudden, there's a battle that is about to take place. And so notice for me, if you would, in verse number 21, chapter number 18. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Chapter number 18, verse number 25, notice what he says. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call the name of your gods, but put no fire under. As you fast forward, you begin to see, as you continue reading on down, in verse number 30, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. As you continue walking on now, verse number 36, the Bible says this, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. I am thy servant, and I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse number 38, notice what takes place. This isn't a small thing. This is a big deal. Verse number 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people, not some of the people, not a few of the people, not just a a specific person, but it says all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. So you know in chapter number 18, as you study chapter number 18, Elijah has is, is just seen something amazing. He's just won a, a major battle, and the, the Lord prevailed once again. So you're thinking, man, he, he's, he is perfectly fine. Everything is good. Well, you would think. But all of a sudden, in chapter number 18, we see that his mind was in the right place as he is making these statements. Notice where his mind is as you back up one more time. Notice just a couple of these statements. Verse 21, he says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. All right, his mind is in the right place. He knows what is truth. He knows God is faithful. He knows who his God is. Verse number 36, he says, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and I have done all these things at thy word. He is acknowledging who his God is as he's humbly coming to the Lord. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. So he knows who his God is. He knows that his God's going to win this battle. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And verse number 39, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is. So he is seeing all of these things. But then you come to chapter 19, verse number one, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done with all how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also. I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. He said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Chapter number 18, you're seeing a man that is living on the mountaintop. Let's just put it this way for just a moment. 
On Monday, you're seeing a man that has just experienced one of the greatest victories and one of the greatest blessings to see his God come through. And on Tuesday, he's depressed. On Tuesday, he's discouraged. On Monday, he's claiming the Lord is faithful, the Lord is God, that all this world and all this nation and all these people would know who his God is. And it's amazing how quickly we forget how wonderful our God is. It's amazing how quickly we forget how many blessings our God has given us and how faithful our God has been and and how wonderful He is and what He's capable of doing. Because on Monday, we're praising the Lord for what He did on Sunday, but on Tuesday, we're discouraged because something happened on Monday and our God's not big enough all of a sudden. And we ask ourselves, what is happening in this battle of the mind? Well, notice a couple of things that we see because we notice the timing of this discouragement. As you back all the way up and you study Elijah's life, you're going to see this is a long battle and a long struggle that he has faced. This isn't just something that happened over time. And we remind ourselves that all of the many great works within our lives are not works that just happen like this. They take work. They take effort. They take time. As you study the mind and you study the battle of the mind, you study life in general and you live life in general, you know that some of the greatest blessings that you have in this life are things that you had to work toward and things you had to work for. It doesn't just happen overnight. The spiritual heroes in your life that you say, man, I want to be that type of Christian. I want to live and be as faithful to God as they have been. Well, that didn't just happen overnight. They were consecrated and they were given they were sold out. They were dedicated. They, they had committed themselves to the Lord. And so we talked about this long struggle for the marriage that wants to call it quits. Keep working for the teacher trying to grow a class. Keep working for the parents raising their children. And you say it's hard. Keep working for the pastor that's preaching to a dying church. Keep working for the missionary seeking to reach a mission field that's difficult. Keep working for the friends that are at odds. Keep working as you begin to understand that it doesn't just happen. You have to work for it. And the same goes with this right here. Because tonight you might listen to the word of God preach. You might read the word of God and you might come to some conclusions this evening. You say, I'm going to commit these things. Well, guess what? Tomorrow you've got to work at it. Friday, you've got to work at it. Saturday, you've got to work at it. Sunday, you've got to work at it. And so you begin to realize that this man not only had a long struggle, but also as he was living on the mountaintop right here, we come to realize that some of the greatest times within our lives, the days following are discouraging days. Why? Because the emotional drain, the physical drain, the spiritual drain. Robert Murray died before he was 30, and he he did a very poor job of taking care of himself. This man, you see some of his writings and some of the strong statements that he had, and this is what he had to say about his life as he was about the end of his life. He said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Now I've killed the horse and I cannot deliver the message. And if we're not careful, we begin to live our lives in such a way where we think we can handle things within our own power, and God has given us a message to declare and a way to declare it, But if we don't take care of this right here, we may lose the battle. 
There was a man I was reading just the other day. There was a man who was a pastor, and he only pastored two years at one church before he resigned. The first year that he started pastoring the church, the Lord just began to really bless the church, and the Lord was blessing in an amazing way. And the very first anniversary, they had hit uh, great numbers in attendance and reached people and saw great numbers of salvations and people discipled and ministries growing. And the Lord was really just advancing this work in this community and this local church was being used of the Lord. And year two comes around and they're coming up on their, their, their second anniversary at the church and he is discouraged all of a sudden and the, the Lord is still blessing. They have doubled in size. Their ministries have grown. Their salvations are still taking place. Disciples are still being discipled. Baptisms are going on. The community is seeing that God's hand is on this ministry. But he was discouraged. And so he resigned the day after his anniversary. He would go on later to pastor a couple of other churches and he looked back and he began to acknowledge some of those discouraging days and he made this statement as he began to talk about those discouraging days and some of the things that he was going through and some of the battles that he was facing. He said, don't make life-changing decisions in the depths of discouragement. And as he began to reflect on that statement right there and began to think about his own personal life, he began to acknowledge that I was discouraged on the mountaintop. And I was discouraged in the valley because I was looking at myself and not looking at my God. You see, many of us, if we're not careful, we're losing the battle to our mind because we're so focused on ourselves and not how great our God is. Remember that moment when you got saved? Hey, someone could have come up to you and told you you were the ugliest person in the world, that you were the meanest person in the world, that you had no friends, that you didn't, you'd have looked at him and said, I don't care, I'm saved, and Jesus is my friend. Nothing could have discouraged you. And you were, you were living on the mountaintop, your eternity was settled, you no longer were discouraged, you were no longer struggling, because you knew that the greatest decision of your life had just taken place. And yet, as you go through life, you find some of these days where you just wake up discouraged. This man right here in chapter number 18 was living on the mountaintop. And in verse number 4 of chapter number 19, he says, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Take away my life. You say, how can you go from chapter number 18, living and seeing all that God did, to chapter number 19, when all of a sudden you're saying, take my life, I I don't need to be here. Well, as we looked at other individuals last week, Jonah has made this statement in chapter number 4 after seeing the greatest revival that man has ever seen. Nineveh experiences revival, and he says this, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. How do you see that? How do you see a revival of people turn? And you still say, It is better for me to die than to live. Well, you lost a battle to the mind. It was Moses in Numbers chapter number 11 when he said, When should I have flesh to give up all unto this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. If thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of the hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. David struggling with Saul. In Psalm 42, we're given some insight, and David battled with Saul for a long time on the run and struggling as to why this was taking place. And in chapter, in Psalm 42, verse number six, he says, Oh my God, 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of all the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Struggling, discouraged. Notice the very beginning of Jeremiah 20, verse number 14, as he says this day, statement right here. Cursed be the day wherein I was born. You see, sometimes we begin to realize within our own lives and we begin to think that we're the only ones that have been discouraged and struggled before. And then we come to Scripture and we realize there were others. And we're losing a battle to the mind. Last week, and then we'll move right along, last week we realized what was causing Elijah's depression and discouragement. Five things we saw last week. Fatigue was one of them. Fatigue. Elijah was drained physically, he was drained emotionally, he was struggling, he, he, he was, you know, very little food intake, and we're going to see that here in a few minutes, how the Lord begins to deal with him, but he was fatigued. And I shared this last week with you, but there, there were many preachers that have come along, and I begin to ask them for advice, whether it's about the church or just in, in, in general, if they have any advice for me or my family or our staff or our church, and many of them will offer this or that, but many of them will always emphasize taking care of yourself. You have to. You can't just keep running, running, running. Brother Johnny Pope was with us uh, a little over a year or so ago. And as we were talking, or maybe it was a couple years ago, we were talking, he began to relay that his, his doctor had told him because for years he was only operating on five hours of sleep a night. He said, my doctor had finally told me as I'm getting older that I cannot keep running like this or I will not run any longer. He said, I had to start taking care of myself. And so he began to talk about how he's trying to get six to seven hours of sleep a night now and really working towards that and the struggle that it was. But fatigue had caught up to him. Emotions had caught up to him. Elijah was emotionally drained. Imagine in chapter number 18 experiencing everything that you just experienced. As I was preparing for this message, and one of the things that you sometimes will try to do is you really try to say, where, where, where have I been concerning all this? Has there ever been a time whenever I was just so fatigued that I was about to lose the battle? Yes, absolutely, every single one of us. The night before our big anniversary service last year, I remember many of us were up here up until, I think, wee hours of the morning. I think we only got two or three hours of sleep because the anniversary service was coming. We were trying to get everything knocked out. And then all of a sudden you're fatigued and you're, you're, you're just worn out. You know, people are coming up to you and, and saying, praise the Lord. And you're just saying, huh? You know, you, you don't even hear it anymore because you're just so fatigued and tired. You just want to, you want to crawl into bed. Emotionally, you go back to that moment whenever that, that first hymn was sung to God be the glory and the, the choir gets up and sing and all the many emotions that went into that big day and what God had done on that day of taking us from corporate drive to 475 Ringgold Road and what He had been doing. And emotionally, you get drained sometimes if you don't take care of yourself and make sure that you spend time with the Lord and His Word and just listening to that still small voice. He was not only emotionally drained, but his focus, he no longer was focusing on the right things. As you think about Peter walking on the water and taking his eyes off the Lord, as you go to Philippians 4 and you study chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, you begin to see all of those many uh, conversations, not conversations, but commands and references that help us with this. Pride beat him down. And then notice with me the fifth thing that we looked at last week. Notice what the Bible says again. Let's read this slowly. Chapter number 19, verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I'd hate to bend Ahab, by the way. 
with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now notice this here. This is where the battle of the mind begins to lose. You see, in verses 2, 1 and 2, he's still on the mountaintop. He's still probably reflecting all of what God has just done. Verse number 3, he begins to take his eyes off of what his God has done and who his God is, as he says right here in verse number 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. And notice these words right here, and left his servant there. He was alone. Another reminder in the midst of struggling times, in the midst of, of burdens that we carry, that we need each other. Many of the days whenever I have been struggling and many of you might not have known or whatever the case might have been, might have been discouraged or might have just been, again, been, uh, you know, in that rut season or whatever the case may be, it's a text message that I receive. It's walking through the doors of the church and someone walking up and saying, hey, I just want to let you know I've been praying for you and we appreciate you and, and how that lifts my spirit. Just this past Sunday, as a, an individual in our church walked up to me and handed me a card and said, hey, just want to let you know you've been on our hearts and minds. We're praying for you. Those types of things are reminders that we need each other. You never know what God is doing in someone else's life and how the Lord is trying to work. And if you're just obedient and remind yourself, you know what? I don't need to be alone right now. I need my church family. We need each other. And then the Bible says in verse number three that he left his servant there and he says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And so now all of this has built up. And when you're discouraged, you're not thinking right. When you're discouraged, you're just saying things because you just don't care what's heard. And whenever you're discouraged or you're depressed or you're going through something, you're not thinking right. And so you're saying things because you just want it to end. And so someone comes up to you and you snap their head off because you just don't care. You just, you just want to be, you don't want to be around anybody. You don't care what they have to say. And so notice what he goes on to say. And he requested for himself that he might die. He's not thinking. What, what a very, Weird request. Probably the worst prayer anyone could ever pray, right? Lord, just just take my life. Not very wise. And so we began to see all of this bringing us to this understanding of what is taking place. And so we saw the timing of discouragement. Notice with me number two tonight as we pick right back up. The tools of discouragement. What, what does discouragement feed off of? What is it? We're going to see the, the tools to, to defeat discouragement here in a moment. But what are those tools that discouragement is operating with? Notice a couple of things that you see. In verse number one, the Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So in verse number one, she is going to be relayed some information. And then Jezebel sent messengers unto Elijah. So notice here is where the, the tools of discouragement begin to work. Notice with me, number one, concerning the tools of discouragement. You see discouragement comes from attacks sometimes. Attacks. As we made that reference last week that, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. No, words hurt. Sticks and stones hurt. All of it hurts. Attacks hurt sometimes. And you begin to think about attacks. And notice this statement right here. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So what's taking place here? This attack or this statement is not meant to encourage him. It's meant to intimidate him. Attacks hurt. Words concerning this right here, I'm going to get you. That's meant to intimidate. You think about sports. If I were trying to get into his head, let's just say he's the, 
the number 10 team in the country, and I'm the number one team in the country. I'm going to walk up to their best player. I'm going to say, hey, you're a scrub, and you got to keep up with me all night, and I'm going to lock you down. Why am I saying that? Because I want to get in his head. I want to intimidate him. I want to make sure that he knows he is a scrub. He's not doing it. I'm going to keep telling him that you're a scrub. Every time he misses, you're a scrub. Every time he, he turns the ball over, you have no business being on the number 10 team in the nation. You ought to be on the 150th team on the nation. I mean, I'm trying to intimidate him. Why? Because I want him to quit. Can I share with you, that's exactly what Satan does within our lives. We struggle. Satan says, you're unworthy. You're struggling through and Satan reminds you or tries to, hey, look at all of the times you failed your God that you claim that you love. Hey, you have no business serving in that Sunday school ministry. You have no business trying to go and reach those bus kids. You have no business being a leader in the church. You have no business being a Christian. You're just a phony. Why? Trying to intimidate. All of a sudden, God is working in your heart, and you're trying to commit some things to the Lord, and all of a sudden, Satan's trying to fight you harder and harder. Had someone come up to me just a couple of weeks ago and, and tell me that the Lord had been doing something great in their life and that they're trying to really get serious about some things. And then a couple of days later, they began to relay that after all of those many decisions, they had just faced some of the hardest days they have faced in a long time. Why? Because Satan wants to intimidate and try to attack and try to discourage from those decisions. This young man just recently was called to preach. This young man is praying about call, the calling to preach, and they're pre- preaching here a couple weeks together, and the Lord's working their lives. And, and the, the one thing Satan wants to do, after they get done preaching, they want, the, the, the devil wants them to get down and, and get, sit down there and all of a sudden remind them or try to remind them they have no business being up there. And the truth of the matter is he's not wrong, but by the grace of God, he's allowed you to. Amen. See, I have no business being up here. I have no business preaching the word of God, but I'm thankful for my God saying, you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. Just focus on who I am. You see, discouragement sometimes comes from attacks. Not only does it come from attacks, but notice what the Bible says once again in verse number three, that he left his servant. Attacks are one of the reasons for discouragement. Discouragement also comes from being alone. You see, in a world where you know this, if you are watching the Discovery Channel, if you are a hunter or whatever the case might be, you begin to realize that predators always attack the one that is by itself. The one that is alone because it is so much easier to kill. And you begin to think about Elijah here. He's physically and emotionally drained. He's, he's focused on his the circumstances and not the Lord. He has a, forgotten about God's promises and what God has just accomplished. So he is struggling here and he has chosen to be alone. That's where discouragement feeds off of. You know why? He chose to be alone. And many of us, if we're not careful, this is what we do. We choose to be alone. And then we go over here. And no one has come up to us yet. We, Mind you, we chose to be alone. No one has come up to us. No one has texted us. No one has called us. No one has walked up to us. We chose to be alone. Have I gotten that, that part across? We chose to be alone. No one cares about me. No one, no one loves me. No, no one's there for me. Someone shoots us a text. Well, it took you long enough. Someone comes up and gives us a hug in Sunday, on Sunday and just lets us know that they're praying for us. I'm glad someone is. Someone comes up and just wants to be an encouragement and 
I just want to let you know I'm, I'm here for you. Well, someone ought to be because no one else is. Mind you, notice what the scripture says right here. Verse number three, he left his servant and he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness. All of a sudden he is alone and all of a sudden, all of a sudden the discouragement is beginning to set in. Depression is hit and he makes the request that he might die. What else does the tools of discouragement, you see it from attacks, you see it from being alone. And then discouragement also comes from our mind to our mouth. From our mind to our mouth. Notice again, verse number four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. And so now he is allowing these things that are in his mind to come out of his mouth and he's struggling and discouragement feeds off of those things right there. We see it all through Scripture. He took his eyes off the Lord. He began to look at the circumstances. He left by himself. And then all of a sudden, what was in his mind came out of his mouth. And he began to request something that we would say is crazy. As you go and you begin to look at statistics on individuals who are willing to commit suicide and are successful in that, you begin to realize that 130 people that are doing that a day is just a dramatical jump. Me and Brother Sean were just talking about numbers a couple of days ago as we were talking about this series and everything, and he was talking about other numbers concerning specific people groups and all that, and you begin to, to realize that so many people are losing a battle to the mind. And the tools of discouragement are the Satan has so many tools. As you begin to think about just today and you begin to think about the news, if you turned on the news, you could have easily got discouraged when all of a sudden Target is putting all that filth in their stores. And so what? We get discouraged. And we say this. There's another victory for Satan. Satan's just winning. Man, he's just, whew. No, no, no. Look, God's not caught off guard by all these things. We keep saying things are falling out of place and everything is going crazy. As you study Scripture, you find that things are falling into place. That everything that we read in Scripture is being fulfilled and the Lord is still on the throne. He's still faithful. He's not caught off guard. As a matter of fact, when the CEO of Target made that decision, God didn't sit up there and say, well, that one caught me by surprise. No. He understood all these things and they're discouraging things, but it doesn't need to discourage us. Number three, we see the tools for discouragement. How do you combat discouragement? Notice what takes place in chapter number 19, verse number five, because this is really where you begin to see the Lord doing a mighty, mighty work. Verse number five, the Bible says, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now here in a moment, we're going to see this is very interesting here. Because in verse number five on down to verse number eight, you nowhere see that he was told to go there. As a matter of fact, as you study out Horeb here, the, 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 this, this name Horeb means to dry up, to lie in waste. 
So this is a, a great understanding here as you begin to realize that he chose to head toward Horeb and he carefully did so. Nowhere does the Lord tell him to do this. And this is what happens when we get out of the position of the will of God, that when we start to do these things, we begin to dry up ourselves spiritually. And we begin to make poor decisions as you go and you study Jonah. Jonah did not flee from Nineveh. He fled from the presence of the Lord. He went down, as the Bible tells us, that that takes place. And you begin to see that this is a trend whenever we get discouraged, whenever we get depressed, whenever we begin to quit on God, all of a sudden we see a decline. And then all of a sudden it's something we think is has, has taken place just like that, but it's been a slow decline. You begin to see this in his life right here. Nowhere do we find where the Lord told him to go there. And here in a few moments, you're going to see the Lord address this. But the Lord is trying to get his attention and trying to help him. And four things concerning this right here that you begin to see in these verses alone is this, that that the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what you need. He knows where you're at. He knows all the problems you're facing, the problems you're going to face. He knows the blessings that you've had, the blessings that he wants to give you. He knows all things about your life. And as you think about where you are right this very moment, it's very easy to live where he's going to be here in a few moments. I only I. The Lord says, hold up. I only I nothing. Elijah, you're not the only one. You're not the only one going through things. You're not the only one that you think is faithful. You're not the only one. Sometimes we fall into that trap of thinking that we're the only one that's sacrificing our lives to the Lord. We're the only one that's going through the struggle of Christianity. And the Lord goes on to remind him here in a few moments, hold up for just a moment. That's not true. And so we begin to see that the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. We begin to understand that the word of God is our spiritual food. We begin to understand that life's journey is too great for us. We cannot and we will not be victorious if we live within our own strength. If you think that you can accomplish things for the Lord in your own strength, then you are sadly mistaken. But then we begin to see as you walk down this pastor scripture and you study the life of a Christian that the Lord desires for us to walk with him and for him. As you begin to think about this right here concerning our walk towards him and and with him, the reasons that we, the Lord desires for us to walk with him is because in walking with the Lord, there's much confidence. You see, I learned this, and we've said this before, but the Lord gives us these visual examples and these life examples as we begin to have children sometimes or with personal experiences, whatever the case might be. But if I'm walking across the bridge right this very moment, and let's just say there's nothing on the right or the left. It's just a, a little handle right here and a little a little rope on both sides. And that's what I'm holding on to. I can guarantee you if I'm going from here to there and there's a valley right there. And if we were to fall, we would die that my son and my daughter are not getting on that unless I hold their hand. Because they're going to be scared. They're going to be terrified. They're going to say, but what if I fall? But if daddy takes their hand, there's confidence. If daddy takes their hand, they can rest assured that daddy's not going to let them fall. I'm going to hold their hand. You see, as you begin to walk with the Lord, everything that we come to realize about walking with the Lord, we begin to think that it's uh, for, for this or that, but it's really for us specifically to understand how faithful he is. 
Bible tells us to walk by faith. Why? For we walk by faith, not by sight, because it encourages us. To walk in love, we begin to understand how great his love is. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Walk in the Spirit. Walk cautiously. Walk consistently. We can go on and on and on as you begin to realize our walk is important. But what we do with our walk is not as important as who we are walking with. And I wonder tonight, where are you walking and who are you walking with? You say, well, I'm walking with other Christians. That's great, but are you walking with God? You see, I love, love everyone right here. Let's just, say, this is, this is, let's just say this is my crew right here. And I say, I'm going to walk with all these. These people are going to be by my side all the time. And I can always say, hey, they've got my back. I've got their back. But the greater question is not who am I walking with concerning them, are they walking with God? Am I walking with God? And sometimes we begin to think, you know what? Some of my most faithful friends are those who I just know are there. That's, that, that's true to an extent. But are they walking with the Lord? Instead, instead of telling you what you want to hear, they're telling you what you need to hear. Are they walking with the Lord in such a way where every time that you are with them, they are strengthening you in the Lord and you understand that, you know what, as I walk with the Lord and I hang around them, you know, we're walking together and we're strengthening each other and all of that. Because notice in verse number four or verse number three, he was alone. So he's struggling here. Later on, you're going to see Elisha strengthen him and encourage him. The Lord uses him in a mighty, mighty way. Now, as you come back to this Horeb place, to dry up, to lie waste, this was the exact same place of the burning bush where Moses was called by God in Exodus 3. It's the exact same place where God gave Israel water from the rock at Horeb. You can find that in Exodus 17. It's the same place where Moses received the law of God in Exodus 19. And so as you begin to walk through that, it very well could have been that Elijah was desiring to get something from God. We don't know that to be true. We can speculate. We can say that. But the Bible reminds us here that he was alone and he chose to go there. And so you begin to see all these things. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture and we begin to see what takes place in verse number 5, what are some of the tools for discouragement? Notice with me in verse number 5 one more time. The Bible says this. And he, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Number one, concerning some of the tools for discouragement, he gives peace. The Lord gave peace. Sometimes we are seeking after answers instead of just the peace of God in our lives. We get discouraged about our circumstances. We get discouraged about our problems. And instead of just seeking after the Lord's peace within our lives and for us to have his peace and him to guide us and direct us and to comfort us during that time, we don't want peace. We want the why. We want to know why. The Lord says, I want to give you peace. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm still going to remain faithful. Yeah, yeah, I get all of that, but why? Why am I having to go through this? No, 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 that doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to provide peace. You're going to have everything you need. I'm going to remain faithful. God, I get that, but I want to know why I'm the one who has to deal with this. I want to know why I'm the one who has to go through this. The Lord says, look, I'm trying to provide you the peace that you need. I don't want peace. I want the answer. That's the way we live. We begin to neglect God's peace because we just want to know the why sometimes. And the answer is, sometimes there is no why that we need to know. That's why he gives peace. 
That peace begins to strengthen our faith. As you begin to think about this peace, notice he sent peace through a messenger. An angel touched him. He sent peace through a meal. The God provided a cake and cruise of water. He sent peace through a message. Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. He easily could have said, why? He could have said, I don't want the, I don't want the angel to touch me. I don't want the food. I don't want the message. I want to know why. But he doesn't. And we begin to see peace. We begin to see provision here. And then as you come to chapter number 19, verse number 9 on down, you begin to see the Lord offers some perspective here. And notice what the Bible goes on to remind us concerning these situations, because as you look at his life, he had a reason to be discouraged as the people of Israel forsook the word of God, the worship of God, and the workers of God. All of this is taking place. But God's going to begin to command him that, hey, it's not time to sulk. It's not time to quit. It's not time to ask me to kill you or to die. It's time to keep moving. It's not time to say, Lord, I saw your victory over here, but I'm ready to die now. He says, no, keep moving. It's not time to quit on me. It's not time to quit on the people that need to hear me. It's not time to to stop all these things. It's time to move. You see, staying in horror was not his will. Not the will of God. Just like staying in that season of depression and discouragement is not the will of God for us. The Lord doesn't want us to sit there and say, I'm done. I'm not serving anymore. No, 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 no. The command to move. You're going to see him begin to move forward with some things. Notice in verse number nine where the Bible says, and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What dost thou, what doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This is the command to move. He said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks for the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it. Isn't it interesting, all of that right there? All these loud things taking place. But then notice what the emphasis is here. After the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he repeats himself in verse number 14. One of the dangers within our discouragement and depressing days is there is so much loud stuff going on around us that we don't hear that still small voice anymore. The Lord's trying to get our attention, but we have clouded him out because we don't want to have peace. We want to have the answer. We don't want to have comfort. We want to have the answer, and we're looking for all of the reasons why. And so we begin to see the command to move. We begin to see the command to serve. He goes on in verse number 15 and begins to give a list of things that need to take place. And as you begin to see each of these, these were specific duties that he had to do. Verse number 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, every mouth which hath not kissed me. You see, in verse number 10, he says, I, even I only am left. The Lord had to remind him here. No. 
Stop playing that card. And one of the dangers in the Christian life sometimes is we begin to feel so sorry for ourselves where we quit on our God and say, Lord, I'm done. That pastor, as I was reading his testimony and reading some of the things that he had gone through and the struggles that he had gone through, and it's a book that has helped me and encouraged me, I began to think about that that season of his life when he made that statement, don't make life-changing decisions in the depths of discouragement. Because sometimes that's where we lie. We lie right there in the depths of discouragement. We say, I'm going to do, I'm done with everything. I'm done serving the local church. I'm done reading my Bible. I'm done spending time in prayer. I'm done being faithful here. I'm done with all of these things because, Lord, I've tried that and I'm still discouraged. I'm doing all of the right things. I'm being faithful, but I don't see the blessing. We have to ask ourselves this question as well. Why are you doing all those things? What blessing are you seeking after? You see, the greatest blessing is not what we get from it. It's who we get to serve. It's the Lord. And as you come to this passage of Scripture in in 1 Kings chapter number 19, you begin to see that in chapter 18, wow, what a victory. But in chapter number 19, discouragement, depression, and death was sought after. As you come and you begin to study Scripture, and we will study many others, you begin to realize a trend that begins to take place. And I close with this tonight. Every single one of them recognized some things. They recognize the Lord in the midst of it and realize, as you study the life of David, you begin to realize, especially with David, that he recognizes where he is and he doesn't want to stay there. And so you see a recognition, you see a response, and you see a result in each of these one studies that we will do. The response ought to be not staying in the rut. For some, that is the case. For instance, in the life of Jonah, that was not. Jonah, the very last words we understand that Jonah is seeking after is just death. And what a sad response it was. The result is understood that when we leave it out of our hands and we put our lives and we put everything in the Lord's hands and let him have control, he never fails with the result. In Bible college, some of the greatest advice I was ever given by a basketball coach As he began to pour into some young men and he began to try to help us and encourage us, he said, you can't control the results all the time. But you can control how you respond to those results. Can I share with you, some of you are going through some discouraging days. And right now, in the saddest way I can say it, some of you are going to go through some discouraging days. That's life. You don't get to pick the results sometime. But how you respond is up to you. Are you resting in the Lord tonight? Are you allowing the Lord through your circumstances to help you to realize he's not been unfaithful? And instead of saying no to the peace of God and search for the answer, it might be a good time to say, Lord, all the things you desire to give me, such as peace, comfort, your word, strength to get through, I've neglected because I've been asking why this whole time. And it might be that I don't need to know why. I just need to know the one who has all the answers. Have you neglected those things? Allow the Lord to bring you along and to help you to realize you're not supposed to stay in that season of discouragement, depression, and anxiety. Lord, we do thank you tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we lose the battle sometimes. Lord, as we start this series and move forward, I pray, Lord, for the ones who are struggling, Lord, that you would encourage them tonight. 
Lord, for the ones who are losing that battle, Lord, may they stop asking why and just allow your peace to be the answer that settles it all right now. Your comfort, your love, your strength, your grace, your mercy, all of the many things we truly need, not always the answer why, but just knowing that you're there and that you're present. Well, I pray that you would help us. Lord, that you'd guide us and direct us. Help us not to lose a battle to the mind. And we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.